You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in, and I am reporting from PDAC, the Prospectors Developers Association of Canada. It's 2020. It's the first day, and I have the opportunity to sit down with a returning guest, Warren Irwin. He's a top-performing fund manager with Rossau Asset Management. Warren, thanks for coming on the show again today. And as we look back over the last week, there was a steep sell-off in uh precious metals and in the gold stocks uh, based on your many decades of experience what do you make of this yeah i, I just see it as being uh coronavirus panic related uh basically what happens in situations like this i've just seen it before and this is where i, where I categorize it is you get a, a pretty sharp and unsuspected uh, unexpected sell-off um and it just triggers a bunch of margin calls and especially in some of the juniors um you know, there's a lot of guys, unfortunately, in the retail sector that are running on margins. So when they get uh, their, some of their positions tagged for a 10 or 20 percent hit, uh, they have to, you know, they have to raise money to meet their margin calls. And uh, or in some more extreme conditions, the the broker has lent them the money, just basically takes over their stock portfolio and puts a market order to sell. And I, I definitely saw some market order to sell orders, uh, market order to sell orders over the past week. So uh, there are people panicking or in distress uh, uh, situation where there actually are forced sellers at some of these uh, pretty low prices. Would you agree with those that say it can't be compared to the sell-off of 2008, at least as it regards to the junior miners, because the junior miners are still so depressed? Yeah, it's funny because, uh, you know, when we talked uh, last fall, things were super duper cheap then. And it just never seems to end. They get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And, uh, you know, I was talking to you earlier about the one example I gave. Uh, um, I bought NextGen from a distressed seller about five or six years ago for 60 cents a share before the discovery was made. NextGen went on to find the biggest and richest uranium deposit in the world, hard rock, so it's not heavy-duty capex like some of these other, other mines. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing deposit. And it's now backed by financially by Li Kaixing out of Hong Kong. And uh, despite all those positive developments, a big discovery, it's in Saskatchewan, great management team, they've got cash, everything's going fantastic on the permitting side. The stock is not even a double from before the discovery. And when I bought, I can assure you, I got the cheapest prices I possibly could at the time. And I bought a significant portion of it from a distressed seller. That shows you really how bad things are out there so the best opportunities are in those developers with resources that are cashed up and then are sold off yeah well you know you you and i could talk about this a little bit but you know the i i see this usually this these are you know telltale signs of the bottom of the market is when you know people ask me around the pdac today can i would i get lend the money to go and find this gold deposit or that base metal deposit or whatever and i go no no i'm not giving you any money and they say, well, why? And I say, well, because I could buy companies that have already made the discovery, already been drilled out to a fairly good degree for super-duper cheap prices. And I said, until I get paid for those through either a corporate takeout or just movement in market price, I'm not about to invest in junior explorers right now. And 
Um, when we will see the turn is when, you know, some of these cashed up majors say, okay, well, we really like your, your uranium deposit, your copper deposit, your coal deposit or whatever, and they pick you off. And you get a nice big fat multiple, and then you can roll that into something else. It's just kind of like uh, perhaps what's going on right now with uh, Continental Gold. I imagine a lot of the shareholders who sold their Continental shares are sitting on a bit of cash, and they're going, well, where should I start redeploying it? And um, that's a position I'd like to be in in uh, – at some point this year where I've sold one or two of my majors that have made these big discoveries at, f at decent to f fair prices, then I'm re willing to, to do the next step, which is um, start funding exploration again. But I think exploration will be uh, pretty tough to raise money for until we start rewarding guys like myself and investors like myself who've paid for exploration in the past. We've made a nice big discovery. It's tremendous. And then get paid for it and we are not getting paid for it so there's no incentive for me to find more because we're not getting paid for it so in our first interview a few PDACs ago when you shared your story about the Briex scam I remember that you told me uh, that was a direct result of the cash from Voises Bay that was redeployed into Bay Street that there was a lot of money sloshing around so with with yourself and other investors like yourself that will get the, the payout and a buyout that you would be willing to reinvest in the juniors do you think that's the key catalyst to move this sector higher because obviously gold's been up 350 bucks and it did definitely didn't lift the whole sector yeah no the market uh, compared to the 1990s right where we're looking back that's you know t 25 years ago right that's the mid 90s uh, there's a lot of things that have changed and a lot of people when they invest in let's say the gold sector they won't invest in individual companies they'll invest in the in the ETFs <clears throat> so they don't have to worry about any company specific risk and I don't fault them for that but um, as I see happening once, what, what, generally what I see in, in, the, in the resource market is my, in my experience, you really need to watch the funds flow, right? So how do, why would anybody buy, buy gold stocks, for instance, or any resource stocks? Well, they buy into them because they, they're concerned that their peers are, and their peers are making lots of money in the sector, so they can't be left behind from a performance standpoint, so they need to jump in and buy some. And that's when things kind of get stupid. And they'll buy initially the majors or the ETF, major gold companies or the, the ETFs. But if that continues, and once the ETFs get quite expensive and the majors are expensive, it's only then really that people will start looking at some individual stocks, more uh, speculative, that... Um, requires them to do a ton more legwork, a ton more work than just buying a plain ETF, which requires zero, you know, z zero work really from a due diligence point of view. And it's really at that point that people go to that level. And I, I used to joke with people and say, well, when do you know there's a top of the, the gold market or the junior resource market? And I said, well, I know it's the top of the market where you're, you're getting pitched uh, private junior resource deals meaning that they want the cash today, but they haven't got the time to go through, grab a shell or, or file a prospectus and go through that whole process. And they just need the cash today and they want to capitalize on it. That's usually the very, very end of the cycle because that's um, arguably the, the dumbest money to put to work is in a private junior at the late stage of a cycle. So you're paying the big multiples and you're not, you know, buying a junior private at the beginning of the cycle when you're paying a couple of pennies versus near the end of the cycle after the majors have run, the ETF stocks have run, the ETF juniors have run, then all the other non-ETF junior have run. And then now they're going, the last batch of stocks that haven't run would be the, the privates. And that's usually an indication that the market's getting pretty tired. 
in your fund, you focus on the high risk, high reward. But as you analyze, if you do analyze the resort, um, the royalty companies, uh, that's another place that investors that don't focus a lot of attention and due diligence on this, this sector, they go to GDX, GDXJ, and the royalty companies. Do you consider the royalty companies overvalued right now? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I don't spend any time whatsoever even thinking about the royalty companies because it's just not my thing. Um, so I really don't have a strong view on that. Um, they have been, a number of them have been good winners for investors, and obviously they they like that. The only thing I see right going going on right now is uh, there seem to be there seems to be a new royalty company every week, and uh, they're trying to put royalties on everything, and each one has their own little different story. And uh, you know you got to think the market's going to get pretty saturated after a while, and if they're all chasing the same deals. You have to think that uh, at some point um, returns aren't going to be there with that much that level of competition. Do you think that part of the depressed nature of the junior sector could be from shorting, where funds and other entities are coming in here and you know putting the downward pressure on the sector through shorting? Yeah, you know you, you hear that from time to time, but you know I just go okay, we'll try and get a borrow on half the names out there. It's really tough. There's so many restrictions on what stocks can be shorted, which ones you can get borrow on. And uh, like I deal with BMO, one of the biggest banks in Canada, and I would think 90% of the time I call them up and say, I'd like to short this stock. And they go, well, you know, it's below X number of dollars, so we can't short it. It's, there's this or that, and there's a thousand different reasons that you can't get the borrow. And and if you can get the borrow, then you, well, you, you can't short the stock because of various other technical factors. It's quite difficult to short. And in my experience, shorting something like the golds across the board, being unhedged on the other side is pretty dopey uh, because, as you can see, gold could be volatile. It could be up a couple hundred bucks, and uh, you could be wearing that pretty hard. And trying to do a, an emergency cover on a thinly traded junior gold stock, it's pretty nutty. It's, so, But if there's guys out there perhaps long the ETF, short a number of the ETF components, I, I could see that. I could see them if they're hedging uh, with a short, but as far as an outright naked short of the junior gold sector, boy, those guys would have a lot of guts because uh, more guts than I would have because we could wake up tomorrow and something could happen and these stocks would be up considerably and uh, then try and cover that short. It, it would be really uh, a disaster for whoever did that. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well capitalized, has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. When we spoke at Beaver Creek, uh, an exploration company that you were um, excited about and have a position is, is is Cantex, and that shot up like a rocket. It was up there, I think, 4 or $5 when we spoke, and it's come back down to earth like a meteorite. What's your thoughts here, and how have you played that? Yeah, one comment I may have mentioned in the, in the interview, did I mention this? Uh, Unless Mother Nature is going to be a total bitch. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> Mother Nature has been a total bitch 
And uh, yeah, the uh, the deposit has not been at all uh, as consistent as I had hoped or some of the other investors, and it's been quite spotty. I think uh, as far as management goes, um, I could definitely fault them in some of their drilling strategies. I wasn't pleased with how they blew a ton of money in what they did with respect to the drill holes. Uh, you know, they drill four, they, they drill two holes from a pad and they get no results. And then somehow drilling another two drill holes in between those two drill holes, what are the odds of getting some? You know what I mean? So I, I'm faulting them for that. I think they wasted a lot of money going too late in the season without the good results to justify going too late in the season. I also think they drilled too many holes from too many pads, from the same pad without getting the results they're getting. But, you know, you see the, um, there's a they got a new really good new board member that I know on board and um, they've got a bunch of money they've got another drill season ahead of them uh, next year will be very very important for them to kind of, kind of prove that uh, we didn't waste our money by backing these people and they've got some good results but they're quite they're quite spotty there, there isn't a level of consistency that I had hoped there would be and um, also, uh, I think the stock got way way ahead of itself. I think it almost got to seven bucks at one point. It was through six dollars, anyways. And the problem with that is sometimes you get people too excited, and it, it's just too too thin of a stock. It, it's it's really um, it really can can move on you. But uh, they have one more drilling season. I, I think they've learned a lot. I think over the winter here, they're getting a lot of people helping them from the structural geology side, where they definitely need a lot of help. I think with the structural geology work. And with um, uh, you know some some real s smart uh, work on the future drill program, they should have a decent shot here next summer of perhaps getting some good results and trying to zero in on where the uh, the ore is if there is an ore body. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge disappointment for me, and um, uh, we'll see what happens next year. And the project still has the size potential that you talked about earlier. You know, you never know. It has. Um, the, the people I know that are sharper than me with respect to geology basically uh, uh, believe that that is the case, and um, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Now, in in that case, you also you backed the CEO because he made you money in the past. No, he lost me money in the past. Lost you money? In the yeah, past. he lost me money in the past. He, no, it was more like despite having lost two million dollars with Chuck about fifteen years ago, I said. I'm going to give Chuck another chance. And then I lost uh, lots of much more money. So, But he had a good discovery in his resume previously. Yeah, right? he's obviously the founder of the Canadian diamond business. He's a, he's a billionaire, found, and he found the Acadie diamond mine using the same you know, determination and smarts that he has. He's a very smart geo, very determined. This is the kind of guy who makes discoveries. He's really wacky, but... Um, you know, he's he's focused on this and uh, he's in the market buying back shares at these levels. So he's obviously uh, of the belief it's not dead yet. So results will speak next year. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. As you look at your portfolio, what stock gets you most excited? What's the most perspective in terms of future gains? Oh, future gains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's various, various uh, levels of risk. Uh, for instance, um, Oh, man, the, that's, a, that's an interesting one because, you know, uh, it's all risk-reward, right? So the, the highest risk I have in my portfolio is one which is, has not been drilled yet, right? Whereas, um, well, let's take a look at, uh, let's take a look at uh, two, two names. I'll take a look at one that has not been drilled, but I think we have a heck of a shot, okay? That's probably the highest risk. That is uh, GPM Metals. 
it's basically uh, we, we've optioned a property off of Rio Tinto. So Rio Tinto is our partner, and we'll be drilling an, an, an undrilled Gossen that hasn't been drilled since Rio Tinto got kicked off the site 50 years ago. It's been uh, a legend within Rio Tinto. If you speak with a lot of former Rio Tinto executives, they'll say the Walker Gossen has mythical proportions with inside Rio Tinto. Well, we managed to cut a deal with Rio Tinto. It took us two years. Spent two years cutting a deal with the indigenous people of Australia. And then we drilled one of the prospects in which we had um, ability to drill. And it indicated to us that the, uh, the zinc ore body was drifting towards the west, which was onto a property we had the rights to, but we didn't have the permission to drill. So we're working on that right now. So hopefully within the next year or so, we'll have access to drill it. But it's right on strike with MacArthur River Mine, Mount Isa, Century, Larry, Lady Loretta, all these massive zinc deposits right on trend. It's the largest undrilled Gossen in the region. And a lot of really, really smart people think we have one heck of a shot at finding a, a major world-class zinc discovery. So that's the high risk. For people who maybe aren't quite as high risk, um, there is an interesting one I'm involved in in, in uh, British Columbia. It's called Colonial Coal. They already have 700 million tons of high-grade metallurgical coal drilled up. Metallurgical coal trades in the 150-160 range. You could buy that in the ground, drilled up in Canada with a good management team that's done this before, built the companies, sold companies for a nickel per ton in the ground. <clears throat> that is extraordinarily cheap. Comparable transactions have happened in British Columbia in southeastern British Columbia with, with similar quality metallurgical coals in the neighborhood of 250 to $3. So needless to say, there's somewhere in between $0.05 cents per ton and $2.50 a ton is the value of colonial coal, but it's definitely not $0.05. Cents. I ran into this once in, in 08 when uh, I owned um, a, sh a small stake in a, in a heavy oil company, and we were, we were capitalized at one nickel per barrel of bitumen in the ground. When the market turned around, within nine months, the stock had gone from $2 to $17, and they'd already paid a four, four and they just paid a $4 dividend. So basically two to $22 within nine months. Colonial Coal has the potential for a multi-bagger, and they've already got the ore body, so there's no question about that. They're in British Columbia, good management team, good relationship with First Nations. So it has a multi-bagger potential without that discovery risk. There are other risks, as you know, uh, with, with, uh, with any of these mining companies. You can never, you can never uh, uh, say anything's risk-free. There's always something that rears its ugly head at some point that could, uh, could screw you up. Would you articulate that your investment in next-gen or colonial coal, it's essentially a high-quality optionality play on the underlying, underlying commodity? Would that be accurate? Well, you know, colonial coal, it really, I don't care if the price of metallurgical coal trades is basic, trades higher. What matters there is that there's a major steel company or coal company that needs, wants to get vertically integrated and needs uh, high-quality coal. And... The bidding, will, the bidding will start, and uh, we'll see where the bidding ends. But I think it'll get much closer to what the fair value is by the end of that. With respect to NextGen, I think there's only two logical buyers of NextGen. Uh, 
initially anyways, uh, the economics are so strong, it's almost compelling enough if you're even not in the uranium business to go into the uranium business if you are a mining company. So, but I'm thinking the most logical buyers of, uh, of NextGen are Rio Tinto and Cameco. The issue with that and how do we get paid for that is, um, you know, Likai Shing's in around three bucks, stock's trading at $1.19. So, you know, the possible acquirers aren't going to be paying five bucks a share anytime soon. So we kind of need to get a little bit of wind at our back with respect to the uranium price, get, you know, Chemical feeling good with their stock moving higher, get Rio Tinto feeling better about the uranium market so that our stock also starts running too. So when, you know, our stock's at 350 a share, let's say, people are more willing to pay 550 or six bucks or whatever the number is, the final takeout. But here when we're down and out at $1.19, I would think that if Chemical came for a bit at 250, uh, which is, you know, a double, I, I think Li Kai-shing would tell him to get stuffed, right? So we need to get a little bit of wind at our back, I think, in the uranium market, get a little bit more robust, get, a, get the market cap up, up a bit, and then we'll see what happens. When you invest, do you pay attention at all to the gold-silver ratio or the platinum-palladium ratio? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. I, I just, uh, yeah, it's not my thing. I just, I, I, I'm not a super big fan of silver. It's just... It's tricky to, to trade, uh, it's tri tricky to kind of understand stocks that have, um, uh, that are really, a significant amount of it is byproduct uh, production. That's really, really tricky. Whereas gold has a fair amount of primary production. Where byproducts, you know, silver will be produced um, no matter what. So long as the underlying commodity that's being produced uh, is, is profitable, they'll produce as much silver as comes out of the mine and uh, they don't care what the price is and they'll sell it into the market. Whereas with gold, giving the majority is primary production of gold, if gold drops in value, the mine shuts down, right? Whereas that's not the case with silver. They just keep producing no matter what the price, price stack looks like. Lithium's uh, lithium equities have been going up uh, at the end of last year and in couple first couple months of this year. Do they attract your attention at all? Yeah, I'm not a super big fan of lithium. The reason I see it is we all know there's there's no shortage of lithium in the world, and when you look at lithium around the world, whether it be um, you know hard rock or the Solars in uh, in Chile and Argentina. There's lots of it, and if you take a look at, uh, I haven't done it in detail, but my, um, my friends in the lithium business tell me that uh, Bolivia has a massive resources of lithium. The only issue is they have quite a few nasties in them, like by, uh, nasties meaning uh, uh, metals or elements that are, you can't get out or, or hurt your end product. I believe if lithium in does indeed end up being the basis for the future battery technology in cars, they will crack that nut and they will find a processing uh, uh, mechanism in which they could, um, uh, they could take those nasties out and then that opens up a massive new supply of lithium. So there's massive supplies on the horizon, so any long-term move in the price of, uranium, price of lithium higher will just accelerate all that new technology that'll go towards dealing with uh, purification of the lithium that's currently out there, and there's lots of it. A lot of people are talking about the trends in ESG, environmental, social, and government. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Is it, is it significant? Yeah, you know, it's sort of the, 
uh, ultimate in political correctness, uh, millennial, vegan, uh, environment. Like it's just, it has everything so politically correct, it's unbelievable. When I was down at the BMO conference uh, uh, last week, um, nobody could shut up about ESG. And it wasn't that many months ago, I didn't even know what ESG meant. So, uh, and I'm in the mining business. So, um, oh, okay, ESG, you're talking about the stuff that we normally do anyways. So, um, yeah, you know, so it, like it's so so obvious and common sense to me uh, that uh, ESG is an important part of uh, any successful mining company. To think to zero in on it the way they've been zeroing in on it recently, it just seems to be flavor of the day, political correctness, and uh, you know, it's just it's driving me nuts the the political correctness of the oh we're going to be carbon neutral on this. On this mining development side, and okay, the mining development side, okay, great, but but you're burning tons of coal on ten of your other projects. You're making one uh, little poster child for solar and wind energy, and uh, great, but we'll take a look at your entire overall footprint. It, it just drives me crazy what's going on here. And um, while I'm on this topic, I just get a kick out of too the the mining protesters that are pro protesting mining. <laughs> I. I guess these people don't understand where the copper for these new electric cars comes from or the lithium or any of the materials that they use in their everyday life. They, they mustn't understand any supply chain whatsoever. So it, um, it drives me absolutely nuts to, uh, to see these protesters protesting everything under the sun. And um, it's crazy. Yeah. Warren, as we kind of wrap it up here, uh, for the investors that are listening to us, what would be your final advice for 2020 for mining stock investors? Yeah, well, my thought would be there's some tremendous high-quality assets out there that have already been found. They've already been drilled out, and they're super-duper cheap. And why spend money looking for more of it if you're not getting paid for it uh, when you do find it? So there are some tremendous stories out there that are a little... little less on the risk risk scale because uh, um, uh, because they've already found it and those will be in my opinion those will move before the exploration stocks will move because again you have to prove to guys like me that we'll get paid when we do find it before we'll spend money again to, to find some more so got names like colonial coal and the other one too i'm involved with is cornerstone and next gen these names are super cheap they've already have their deposits already significantly drilled out and uh, they're there to be had super cheap at the bottom of a of a cycle and if you have some patience they're they're good names to own excellent you've been listening to warren Irwin. he's a top performing fund manager with rossau asset management warren thanks for joining me today i really appreciate it always great chatting with you bill cheers Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant 
with that. If you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.